according to Romans chapter 3, verse 25. On the cross, God demonstrated His righteousness. And then also, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God on the cross demonstrated His love. In demonstration of His righteousness, He showed Himself to be a just God. In demonstration of His love, uh, He showed Himself to be a Savior. So in demonstration of His righteousness, showing Himself to be a just God, He calls men and women and boys and girls to repent. In demonstration of His love, showing Himself to be a Savior, He calls men and women and boys and girls to faith in Jesus Christ. So salvation is received by penance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And what has God given us to show someone their need to repent? The law. We use the Ten Commandments. Do we use all ten of them? No. We use nine of them. Which one do we leave out? Sabbath. Sabbath is the only one that's not repeated in the New Testament because the Sabbath is Jesus. It's not a day. It's somebody. It's Jesus. God uses His law to show us our need of cleansing because we're dirty. And He uses His law to show us not what we look like to ourselves, not even what we look like to others, but what we look like to Him. And then in hopes that that will lead us to repentance and put faith in His one and only Son. Because we know that from the beginning, according to Genesis chapter 3, 2, 1, chapter 3, verse 21, that God's salvation has always been from the, from the beginning through the death of the substitute. The substitute. When God shed blood for the first time in all of the Bible. And as we go into this text... You can just look at the Bible and just interwoven throughout the entire Scripture, God reveals Himself over and over and over again based on those two attributes right there. That He is a just God and a Savior. It's all over the Bible. So we know that salvation and the message of salvation doesn't start with the character and nature of men. The message of salvation starts with an understanding of the character and nature of God. And God is a just God and a Savior. And so we look back, and remember we were going, uh, and we're finishing up right now in Second Peter. And Second Peter, like we've talked about time and again, is the Apostle's warning to us about the attacks that would be mounted against the church from within. First uh, Peter, in large measure, was about how to handle and respond to the attacks, attacks mounted uh, against the church from without. And so now we're looking at, uh, of course, false teaching and false teachers and, and uh, what they look like, how they live, and, and the doctrine they espouse. And one of, one of which is when we come to this part of the Scripture is the scoffers will come in the last day and they'll make a mockery of our hope that we have of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And as we talked about last week, we saw in the Scriptures, um, those who would, would do that Willfully forget. They willfully forget. And that's, that's very important. On purpose, they willfully, willfully forget the two things that every man, woman, and boy and girl who've ever been born or ever will be born, there are two things. Every make and every model. It doesn't matter what country we're from, what culture, what language is spoken. There are two things that everybody knows about God. What are they? Conscience and creation. And those are the two things they willfully deny. 
Why do they do that? What's the motivation? It's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Just like we talked about at the at the um, at um, Chuck E. Cheese. When you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you play that little game where the gophers, is it gophers, y'all tell me? And they stick their head up and you got that mallet and you're trying to knock them down as fast as you can. And I'm standing there with Paul hoping that we're going to get enough tickets to make somehow another something off of this. And so we're hitting those things as they pop up. This is what conscience creation, conscience creation. And man, unregenerate man, stands there with his mallet and goes bam, 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 bam. And does everything he can. Every time the conscience sticks up, he goes whop. And every time that God sticks up, that there is a creator and a lawgiver and a God to whom we would give an account. Bop! And bop, 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 bop. And his life is nothing but, and ours was nothing but, a, 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 a fruitless effort to deny those two things that everybody knows about God simply because of our love for sin. That's it. Romans 1.18 Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And then we looked and we saw the scoffer would come and say, Ha! Huh, you all believe that Christ is coming back and you believe that judgment's coming and you get all worked up about that. Uh, let's don't get worked up about stuff like that. And every now and then, these professing Christians will throw a, like we talked about, throw a piece of meat to those who would take the Bible seriously and give lip service to judgment to come. Give lip service to the wrath of God. And, and, and say a couple of things about it. But the focus is how can we have everything we have now and how can we enjoy now and how can we make now the best now that we can make it and get settled in in this world in a mindset that's nothing but captivity to the God of this age, the little G. So they said, we're willfully forgetting the fact that God is the Creator and as Creator, He's Lawgiver and as Lawgiver, He is Judge. And so, so we see all of that. What is that but a manifestation and revelation of what? The fact that God, according to Isaiah 45.21, is a just God. But then, then, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look what He does. Look what He does. He says in verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So isn't that just the way the Gospel works? Isn't that the God we worship? He re reveals to us His just and righteous character and the wrath that will flow upon the unrepentant from that just and righteous character to show us to be a just God. And then comes right back there after that and says, but yet, He's also a Savior. Withholding judgment, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith in His Son. So, God shows Himself to be, in this passage, a just God and a Savior. There it is. Just, wrath and judgment. Savior, the one who grants repentance and faith. Hallelujah. 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 And you know what? Now that we've come to the end of these two letters, <clears throat> just, from a, just before we move on and we continue on in verse 10, a couple of observations. We see three characters 
Bible characters that are mentioned in these two letters that characterize a lot of what we see around us and maybe might see in us. Those three characters would be Noah, Lot, and Balaam. Noah, Lot, and Balaam. Just from a macro standpoint, just from a bird's eye view, looking flying high above their lives, Noah shows us a believer who by the mere fact that he is one is in relationship with God and is in fellowship with God. He's in relationship and he's in fellowship. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. God looked all over the earth and found a righteous man in Noah. Now not righteousness that Noah had earned or deserved or something special about him, but he saw in him imputed righteousness just like in me and you who have put faith in God's Son. There's no such thing as a righteous person apart from Christ. Amen? But he saw in him a faithful man and he saw in him and built in him a faithfulness that persevered through years of building the ark while at the same time preaching the message of repentance. No one listened, but he persevered because he was a believer in relationship, which you have to be in relationship to be a believer, and he was in fellowship. Then we see in Lot... You remember, and we spent a lot of time on this all the way back a year ago when we were meeting over there in the band room. In, Noah, in Lot, you all know that we see, we see a believer who's in relationship, but he's not in fellowship. Okay, so as Lot, he's got, he has a relationship. We know him to be a righteous man because the Bible says in the very book that we're studying that Lot was saved. He called him a righteous man. But he didn't act like it. And buddy... Do we have enough of this on our team in our culture? And and then we have so we have a we have Noah who's in relationship and fellowship. Then we have Lot who's in relationship but no fellowship. And then we have Balaam who's neither. So so um, Noah is crystal clear about who he is. Coming judgment. He's preaching it. He's anticipating it. And even though it's delayed, he never stopped believing. He was convinced. And he kept on going. This is the kind of guy we want to be. It's coming. And, 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 and everybody was crystal clear about where he stood. They didn't, they didn't agree with him and wrote him off as a lunatic. But I can tell you one thing. They knew where he stood. Oh, that we would want to be believers like that. That regardless of what people think of us, first of all, they know where we stand. And they might disagree or dismiss our claims in the faith that we rest on. But they at least know about it. And at least they give some evidence of the fact that it's real to us because it seems to influence the way we live. And so this is Noah. Then Lot, the relationship with no fellowship. And he's confusing everybody. We went into all that. You went through, we went through weeks of that. But, but to come out of that and at least have a takeaway of saying that there, is, there are such things as believers who are in relationship and fellowship and there is such thing as a relationship believer who's out of fellowship. And we want to repent and get in fellowship so that we're in relationship and fellowship. And you can't have relationship. Uh, you can have relationship without fellowship, but you can't have fellowship without relationship. But then when we get to the scoffer and the false teacher, we're talking about somebody who has neither. But the problem is, in this scenario, is that the one who has neither professes to have it. So now, there are two dangerous places to be. 
One is a dangerous place. A dangerous place is this. A dangerous place is when you're self-deceived. There's nothing worse than self-deceit. Nothing. Because when you're self-deceived about where you stand with God, then you think you're all right. And if you think you're all right, then you're no longer asking questions. And you're no longer making evaluations. Or, and you're no longer searching. And no longer trying to find out what's real. Self-deceit is terrible. It's better to be honest and be lost than to be dishonest about your lostness. Because at least if you're honest about your lostness, you're still open to some options. You know there's a problem. There's a problem. And I'm the problem. And I'm a sinner. Oh, far better than that. The most dangerous place to be is to be self-deceived. The most dangerous person is to be deceived yourself and then use that to deceive others. Now, obviously, Noah was not self-deceived. Noah was crystal clear. But, but So he wasn't in a dangerous place. And he wasn't a dangerous person either. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the feet of those who bring good news are beautiful. Did you know that? The feet of those who bring good news have beautiful feet, the Bible says. <coughs> so, Noah has some beautiful feet. But, so he wasn't, a dangerous, he wasn't in a dangerous place. And he wasn't a dangerous person either. But let me say this. Lot and Balaam were dangerous people. And that's the two options. If, we're, if the, a dangerous person... It's when you're deceived yourself and your claims are used to deceive others. And that can be true of a believer, Lot, or that can be true of a non-believer, a fake, Balaam. It could be either one. Now think that through for a minute. That could be true. The most dangerous place, self-deceit. The most dangerous person, deceiving others. And a believer can do that. And surely a non-believer can. So now, in the most dangerous person, we find two options. That can be somebody who is in relationship but out of fellowship. And it can also be a person who has neither. So we see all of this. A composite drawing of all of these people in these two books. And if ever we needed discernment, it is today. The sermon is at a low ebb in the professing church today. And almost anything that you want to pitch to people nowadays, you can pretty much pitch and not be challenged one iota because our biblical literacy is to the point where we're biblically illiterate. And I've said this before and shared this before, but discernment is not a gift of the intellect. Discernment is a gift of the Spirit. There are plenty of intellectual people who are nothing but educated fools. But to have discernment doesn't require an education. It doesn't require intellect. It requires a Spirit-filled believer. A Spirit-filled believer can smell it out because a Spirit-filled believer is filled with the aroma of Christ. And if something not looks like Him or doesn't act like Him, you can call it out and know it. And oh, these are dangerous times we're living in. Because here's the thing. And we're going to look at it this morning. But wouldn't it be great for us to pause and say, Oh Lord,
Am I a believer? Okay, I'm a believer. Okay, there we go. We've got a relationship. Am I a legitimate believer? If so, am I like Moses? I mean, am I like Noah? Or am I like Lot? Now, the, the analogy we used back when we were going through that was Abraham and drew a contrast between Lot and Abraham. And we asked, we posed the same question. But this is the question. Am I more, does my, my, my life more characterize Lot or does my, my life more characteristic of Noah? Am I crystal clear about what we believe? Am I, positionally speaking, when having an opportunity to give an account to my faith in you and the judgment that's coming upon the unrepentant, do I seize those opportunities? Do I look at people through the lens that you look at them? The prison that God looks at through people is either they're in Adam or in their, they're in Christ, and that's it. If it's in Adam, they're condemned and they die. If they're in Christ, they're justified and they live. That's it. Aren't you grateful? There are only two options here. But we can confuse things. The reason that a Lot person and a Balaam person are so dangerous is because they confuse everybody. They make claims... They have a life that's inconsistent with the claims. And that causes confusion. That's dangerous. Is that not why Jesus said to the Laodicean church that I'd rather you be hot or I'd rather you be cold, but you're lukewarm. And because of that, you make me sick and I want to vomit you out of my mouth because lukewarm people confuse everybody. Now as we look at this text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see a definite day. We're going to see our call to a diligent walk. And we're going to see delightful expectation. You remember last week that we talked about the fact that in the early church, the second coming of our Lord was so important to them and so front and center their thinking that they would greet each other by the phrase or the word Maranatha, which means Lord come quickly. And say, Brother Scott, Maranatha to you this morning. And that would be a reminder right there, Scott. He could come back today. This could be it. He could be drawing a curtain on all of this and all the hopes that we have that are vested in Christ are going to come to fruition. And guess what? It could be today that that happens. Maybe we're to get back to greeting each other like that. See, when he got it so well, and we got it so well, and the bank account is fairly full, and, um, and we, we don't want for anything, it's kind of hard to live life with this kind of expectation that's motivated by the expectation of the coming of our Lord. But look at it in verse 10. It says, But the day of... Stand with me if you're physically able, will you? Out of respect for God's precious Word. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved... What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. There's a definite day, dear ones. We talked about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is mentioned throughout the Old and the New Testaments. In summary, the day of the Lord is the judgment that will climax 
at the end of this age with the return of Christ to the earth. This world has been judged. And the Bible says that that day will come as a thief in the night. Jesus said the same thing about that day in Matthew 24, verse 43. And keep your Bibles handy because we're going to go to a lot of places this morning, God willing. Look at Matthew 24, 24, verse 43. 24, 43. But know this, that the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. We don't know when the Lord's going to come, but He's going to come as a thief in the night. In other words, He's going to come with no warning. No one, no thief ever calls up their victims and says, listen, somewhere between 11 o'clock and 12 o'clock tonight, I'm coming by your house to rob it. Nobody does that. Because you'd be prepared for it. And you would be ready at the door with police and everything else you needed to stop it from happening. In Luke 12.39, the Lord says the same thing, that the day will come as a thief in the night. Look at Luke 12.39. Everything's going to go along as it's going along. There's going to be marrying and giving in marriage. Everything is going to be, to be according to the way it's always been. There'll be no, um, there'll be no expectation. It'll come. As a thief, he will come as a thief in the night. Look at it in Luke 12, verse 39. Our Lord says, But know this, if the master of the house would have known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If anybody starts date calling, write them off. Turn off the radio. Throw away their books. Don't get into that. We just know it's coming. He's coming as a thief in the night. Even the Apostle Paul spoke of this coming of our Lord in the same terms in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. and You'll see in verse 2 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2. Let's go back up to verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. This is why the Bible doesn't say to get ready for His return. The Bible says to be ready for His return. This will be devastating for the unprepared. This will be devastating for the unprepared. Be ready. What is it going to be like? Well, we know some of it here in 2 Peter chapter 3. We know He's coming unexpectedly with no warning. It's going to be devastating for the unprepared. Well, look what it's going to be like. 
Look at verse 10 of Second Peter 3.10. There comes a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. When the Bible says great noise, the word that comes from means like a hissing and a crackling sound. Like bird's wings and a snake. It's almost like being around a campfire. You know when you burn something in a campfire? And Thomas, you're sitting there listening to it and you can hear a, a hissing sound and then the cracking in the fire. That's going to happen, but exponentially more than that. Those who have, have uh, witnessed the uh, detonating, of, detonating of a nuclear bomb testing have said and give account that it sounds like that. Of course, at a, a level that you can't hardly stand. So, it could be, it's certainly probably going to be some kind of atomic disaster. But not with men pushing the button like we said last week, but God pushes the button. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The works of man are going to be destroyed. In judgment, there's not going to be anything to point to and say, wow, look what we accomplished. And God go, wow. Oh, you denied me and, and marginalized me and did not afford me the worship and the gratitude that were due my name as your creator and sustainer, but you did that to build that. Okay, no problem. Something good came out of it. There's not going to be anything to point to. It's going to be gone. Can you imagine the things that we kill ourselves for and the things that we live for? Every single one of them will be gone. Gone. Melted, dissolved with fervent heat. That word melt means dissolved. It means broken down into its basic elements, which speaks of probably some kind of atomic uncreation. That God's going to uncreate what has been created. And He's going to just, with fervent heat, it's all going to be gone. Isn't it amazing how life can turn on you in just a, in just a moment's notice? In a moment's notice, everything can change in life. With one phone call, Boom, your life could become suddenly on a different trajectory than it was before. That's exactly what's going to happen. It'll be, it'll be without warning. It'll be sudden. But it's sure. There's a definite day coming. That day is coming. Now, this should not give rise to speculation. But for the believer, it should be motivation. We shouldn't speculate as to when it's going to be. We shouldn't get out the newspaper and get out clippings and go, See there! You know, this is about to happen. We should live in anticipation of it right now. Right now. This is the paper that should guide us. Not news clippings, but this one right here. This eternal, transcendent Word written by a transcendent God that is more up to date than today's paper. So we don't speculate about His coming, but we're motivated by it to say, oh, how should we live in light of the fact that He is coming? And that is the question He poses right here. <coughs> And as you're reading the text, you can feel it coming on. When he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And you can just feel it, even if you didn't know what was coming next. You could feel it and say, Surely the next thing he's going to say is, How then shall we live? 
How then shall we live? A pastor said once, he said, when I started looking into the Scriptures and what the Bible had to say about the day of the Lord, I started getting off the planning committee and started getting on the welcoming committee. I don't plan this event. I'll welcome it. He's coming again. Hallelujah. 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 So what that definite day should lead to a diligent walk. Look what it says. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, do everything you can to accumulate all that you can in this life. Settle in and build a fortress to protect you from the evil to come. And just make sure your stock options are in place because you've got a heads up about what the future holds. Is that what it says? Does it say to settle in? Does it say to dig in? It says to live as a pilgrim, a sojourner on earth where my inheritance is in heaven where moth or dust can't corrupt or destroy and corrosion cannot touch it. My treasure is not here because wherever our treasure is, rest assured, friends, the Bible says there our heart will be also. He says this, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And the way this is written, this is not a question. It's an exclamation. It is a proclamation. It really means this. Therefore, since all of this is going to burn up, listen to this language. This is, this is, the be- this is a better translation of it. Listen to that. How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. That's what, that's what it says. How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. Now, which category does that fit into? Noah? Lot? Or Balaam? Noah. Noah. Man, keep building. Keep anticipating. And keep warning. Don't quit. If you're written off as a lunatic, that's okay. If you're written off as that you've lost your mind, that's okay. If you're dismissed and paid no heed to, that's okay. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. What should that mean about who we work for, who we work with, and who we serve? What should that mean by the God-ordained roles that we've been given as believers first and foremost, as friends, as fathers, as husbands, as mothers, as children, as youth? How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. Look what it says in Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Exhort, encourage bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, pilfering, but showing all good fidelity. What? That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You know what that means? 
It means that the way we conduct ourselves, this is our potential. The way we conduct ourselves as friends, neighbors, employees, employers, has the potential to dress up the doctrine of Jesus Christ. To make it look appealing. To make it look appealing. Does the way you is is it are our relationships and the way we mediate them make the gospel look appealing? Does it look appealing? That's what it means. Show it off. Let it glorify the Lord who bought you. How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. You and I ought to be. How? In holy conduct and godliness. When that word, that word manner is used right there, it means, you know, what, you know what you could say? Exotic. Out of this world. Foreign. Exotic. We're to be an exotic person. Exotic speaks of intrigue. Man, that's different than everything I've seen before. Man, to do business with that guy was different than anything I've ever seen before. To work on his team was different than anything I've ever seen before. I can just tell you this. This is foreign to me. To live beside them is different than anything I've ever seen before. To be, to be that guy's friend is different than anything I've ever seen before. Different, not odd. We're not supposed to be odd, but different. And that's holy conduct, set apart. We've been set apart to live set apart in the middle of those who don't know Him. How astoundingly excellent you ought to be. We should be exotic foreigners because this is not our home. And even those who think it is their home, it's not theirs either because they're going to lose it. Everything they built their lives on. Can you imagine? Everything a lost person builds his life on, he's going to lose. Everything. Should that not renew our compassion for them and see them in a different way? Everything they're invested in, their portfolios, even if they expected to pass it down to their, to their heirs, everything that they live for, they're going to lose. Everything. Now, as believers, is that true of you and I? It's based upon whether or not we're Lot or whether or not we're Noah. Holy conduct. Holy conduct means set apart. Different. 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 Not odd. Different. Godliness. It means a person whose life is devoted to pleasing God. A person whose life is devoted to pleasing God. Absolutely devoted to pleasing God. I want to please Him. I want to please Him. Not so He'll be pleased with my desire to please Him. I want to please Him because He's already pleased with me in His Son. And that just motivates me. You know, I, because I've come to understand daily more about His love for me. I want to give it back to Him. I'll, not, as, not to gain His favor, but because I'm so happy and joyful that in Christ I already have it. Hallelujah. And isn't it wonderful that He tags that with beloved? He does that again. That's, Paul's, that's Peter's habit. Holy conduct. Looking for and hastening. 
Look at Romans. Here's where we're going to go. Get your, get, get your Bibles ready, if you will. Romans chapter 13. The Bible has a lot to say about this. We'll skip over. We'll skim over some of it. Look at Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to the 14. And doing this, knowing the time, knowing the time, we know the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Because we're closer now than we've ever been to this coming. Look at Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter five, if you will, verse one through eleven. Second Corinthians five, one through eleven. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that immortality may be swallowed up by life. And now He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight and we are being confident. Yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. This is the godliness. For we must all appear before the judgment of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are well-known to God, and I also trust are well-known in your consciousness." We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Why? This earthly tent is going to be destroyed. But we have a heavenly habitation, a heavenly body that is beyond and not subject to corruption, eternal in the heavens, reserved for us, a body not made by human hands, a habitation not made by human hands. But we'll share in the glory of our great God. 
Hallelujah to His name. Philippians chapter 3. See, what we believe about these things, if we believe correctly, will have an impact on how we behave. Isn't that it? Isn't that the point? Belief directly influences behavior. Belief directly influences behavior. Look at Philippians chapter 3, 17-21. Brethren, join in following my example. And those who so walk as you have us for a pattern, for many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. One through eleven. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let those of us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. This this is comfort. These are words of comfort for us as believers. He's coming again. He's coming again in what manner of person ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Lives that are outstandingly, astoundingly excellent. First John chapter two, if you will, please. Twenty eight. Now little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Oh, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself 
just as He is pure. The hope of the imminent return. Christ motivates in sense holy living. Diligent walk. Next week we'll go over, God willing, the delightful expectation. But let's remind us in Isaiah chapter 24, verse 19. This is a verse that we looked at last week. Every bit of it is going to absolutely explode with fervent heat. And everything that we see is going to be gone. Look what it says. The earth is violently broken. The earth is split open. The earth is shaken exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and totter like a hut. Its transgression shall be heavy upon it. And it will fall. It will not rise again. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. If you will, please, and we'll close. Hebrews chapter 12. This is so encouraging. (laughs) You remember the song, There's a Whole Lot of Shaking Going On? Well, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. And it's nothing but a crescendo of praise to the One who is a just God and a Savior. But His justice is going to be seen and known. And it will be exercised. It will. His judgment and His wrath will be exercised. But look what it says. In verse 25 of chapter 12, See then, see that you do not refuse Him who speaks. For they did not escape who has refused Him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from Him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, the things that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What cannot be shaken? The kingdom of God. Where does the kingdom of God reside for the believer? Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is within you. Because I live inside you through the Holy Spirit. And everything that can be shaken around us, and while it's shaking, and, the, and, the, and, and those who are being shaken with it, look for cover. Could it be that in the midst of all the shaking, stands firm, stands firm a remnant of the believers, who are steady on the inside and are not panicked or given to fear because on the inside we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Look what it says. He says the question, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming 
There's a whole lot of shaking going on. We can either look this way or we can have an orientation that looks this way. To look this way is to be riddled with fear. To look this way is to be released from it. And in so doing that, while everything else is shaking, we can be steady. And when those who are willing to look to the cross can look around and see a group of people who are not shaking, who are not fearful, but steady, because our confidence lies in the one who's doing the shaking, who lives inside me. And because he's shaking on the outside, I'm calm on the inside. Hallelujah.